Today we are in the second letter from Jesus to the churches that were in Asia Minor. And we'll be reading from Revelation chapter 2, 8 through 11. I think this is the shortest letter. And in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage? And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we, again, we just are so grateful for your word, how it teaches us, how it instructs us, how it encourages us and guides us, how it reveals more of you and challenges us to be more like you, to let you have your way in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you for these letters. We thank you how they speak to us today. We thank you for preserving your word throughout history that we might have this opportunity to let it speak to our hearts. Help us hear, Lord, what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we've seen that the letters to the churches are to be heard by the church throughout time. Um, at, at the end of each letter, it says, let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. So all the churches in that Asia Minor circle um, were going to hear these words, and we saw how the number seven represents fullness, so this is not just to those churches, but to the church throughout time, because man's heart doesn't change. We have the same problems they had, maybe a different form, but the same heart issues. And I, I'm always surprised to find that there are those people who think someday mankind is going to get our act together and make utopia on earth. We just need to, and then you come up with whatever the latest thing is. The fallen condition of man is the most empirically verifiable fact of human nature. Uh, all you have to do is pick up a newspaper, right? Or turn on the news or... Talk to your neighbor. <laughs> Without Christ in his transforming power, we are, as mankind, selfish, greedy, incapable of loving unconditionally. And regardless of who wins an election, man will be running things. <laughs> and that means more problems. It reminds us back to Daniel 2, the image of the man. You know, all the empires of the earth were pictured as, a, as an image of a, of a man, like a statue, and the kingdom of God came and smashed that big image and filled the whole earth. 
So regardless of who is in power, leaders, uh, can, they can turn things for the good for a time, but inevitably the wicked gain power and hearts are hardened and God has to intervene with judgment. We see that cycle throughout Israel's history, throughout the world's history. It's just this cycle of the history of mankind. Sounds really pessimistic, doesn't it? But I'm an optimist. Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. He's going to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. But in the meantime, by faith, we enter the kingdom right now. Not a kingdom of this world, but an eternal heavenly kingdom where Christ reigns in our hearts. In the first letter, we saw the need to nurture the love that we had at first. When we first realized the greatness of God's sacrifice and what he'd done for us. The letter, this letter is to the next large city on that circular route that the, whoever was carrying the letters would, would go to. That was the church of, in the city of Smyrna. It's an ancient city on the Aegean coast with an excellent harbor. It was destroyed by the Lydians and was for, in ruins for centuries. And then the Greeks rebuilt it about 209 BC. And though not the largest or the most affluent of the cities on this circle, it was said to be the most beautiful city in Asia. It was one of just a few cities that had a planned layout before the city was built. And from early on, it was aligned with Rome. They even had a temple just to worship the Roman Empire. Its most famous street was called the Street of Gold, and it had temples on each end. On one end was the Temple to Sibyl, and on the other, a temple to Zeus. It had numerous other temples, including one to Tiberius Caesar. It was the home of the famous poet, Homer. Not Simpson, by the way. The city has survived to this day. It's called Izmir, and it has several Christian churches. Verse 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Each letter starts with a description of Jesus that we saw in the first chapter. We saw before that the first and the last is a description of the eternal God of Israel from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 44, verse 6. So basically this expression tells us that Jesus is one with God, the God-man, eternally with God the Father. He's the beginning and the end of all things. There's nothing throughout all time, past, present, or future that escapes him. He knows who will be elected and enthroned, and he's not worried about how things are going to turn out. Some of us are very worried right now. Amen? No? No one's worried about the upcoming election, presidential election? We're worried, but he's not. He's already there. He already knows the results. And whatever happens, he will see us through. Yeah, praise God for that. And to this persecuted church, he's telling them to trust the one who sees everything that happens to them. 
They're not going through a dark time because God's somehow absent. He will see them through. The promise of Christ is not the absence of trouble, but his presence with us through it. After all, he was dead and he came back to life. He conquered death. So he can say, do not fear those who killed the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Jesus conquered death and hell so we too could have life eternal and he is able to raise us up. This must be a precious description to these brothers and sisters in, in places like Pakistan right now. We talked about that earlier in the morning Bible study. In Iran, in North Korea. The government does not have the last word. Jesus does. They can kill us, but they can't keep us from being raised. Fear not. We serve a mighty king who can reign even amid man doing his worst. I mean, think about it. I mean, when, when the Romans arrested Jesus, I, I imagine Satan was going like, ha, now I've got him. And then when he walked out of the grave, he must have gone, oh, lost again. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. This is one of only two of the seven churches that didn't receive a correction. Five of them are, they're corrected in some way, some very severely, but this one and Philadelphia d didn't receive any kind of rebuke. Jesus begins by saying he's aware of what they're going through. I know your tribulation. That is, he knows your affliction. What distresses or troubles you? The Greek word means crushing burden. He knows the crushing burden that you're bearing. And I imagine this morning there's some of you here that have crushing burdens. Jesus knows. Not only does he know, he feels with you. He knows your affliction and what distresses and troubles you. Sometimes we think no one knows or cares about what we're going through, but you can be sure Jesus does. He knows better than anyone. He knows better than you yourself. Sometimes the pain in our hearts can be worse than our, a physical affliction, and Jesus not only knows, but he feels it. You will never find a friend like Jesus. It's just not possible. Even a fellow believer who cares about you cannot feel the pain like Jesus does. The church in Smyrna was being slandered by Jews. Jesus knows that too. That slander would be especially hard for these Jews, the Jews in, in the church who had found Jesus as their Messiah and Savior because they once considered those fellow Jews their, their friends and their family. And now they're hearing things from them that are so ugly, so vicious that it's breaking their hearts. You know, hurt, hurtful words can be more painful than physical injury. 
there's a burden that comes from being born again. That burden is that you will genuinely care about your brothers and sisters in Christ and about the lost. But you also know you dare not speak on your own, but must wait for the Holy Spirit. And so we often grieve for the people who turn against us, who abandon us or slander us, and even tell lies about our character. We grieve for them because we care more than ever before about their eternal souls. They malign us by assigning evil motives to the good things that we do from a loving heart, and it cuts like a knife. We pray for them, and we pray we can quickly forgive them and forgive them completely like we've been forgiven by our Lord. Jesus also knows your poverty, he says. In these free Roman cities, every guild or trade had a god or a goddess that they worshiped and counted on for protection and successful business. And when Christians would go to work in the guild that they were a part of, as you enter in, there's a statue of that god of the guild and incense there that you are supposed to light. But Christians couldn't do that. They couldn't worship the false gods. And so they would lose their occupation. And that's why Jesus knows their poverty. It could be that uh, the confiscation of their goods by Jews taking advantage of Christianity being illegal at the time that John wrote this. Revelation, uh, at the time Revelation was written. Leon Morris tells us when Polycarp was martyred in Smyrna somewhat later, the hostility of the Jews towards Christians came out in their zeal in setting forward the execution. Even though it was the Sabbath, they gathered the wood for the fire in which the martyr was to be burned. Their rage against believers caused them to validate their own Sabbath rules. And things have changed very little in that region of the world. Just blocks from where Emperor Diocletian killed hundreds of Christians in eight, somewhere between AD 303 and 311 is the Protestant Church of Izmir. They've been firebombed three times. Though they have only 50 believers, they have an outreach and a Bible study by mail. They live with harsh societal prejudice and the Turkish media often feeds that Muslim fears by claiming that Christians are foreign agents who are intent on undermining the state. 2,000 years earlier, Satan was using the same tactics. Because they would not say Caesar is Lord and recognized another Lord, they were considered as treasonous. They may have had low-paying jobs. They may have been slandered and struggling financially, but Jesus says they're rich. One of the men who encouraged me in my faith was a brother named George Bruland. He had a gift of evangelism. He was just a very uh, humble, unpretentious carpenter who was always ready to pray for people. And one day he told me that the Lord had spoken to his heart and told him he was gonna be rich. 
And I said, Brother George, don't you realize you're already rich? You have a gift of evangelism. You have a love for God. You have a sweet wife and kids that love you. You have a good job. And you have the family of God. And most of all, you have a Savior who loves you and the promise of heaven. What more do you want? And I heard him repeat that now and then to his friends. It must have struck a chord. He won, my, he won our race to heaven. And now he knows what rich really is. That's what Jesus was saying to the believers in Smyrna. They may have lost their better paying jobs uh, and been living from day to day, slandered and persecuted, but they were rich. They had a family of believers, faith in the true God, a God who knows their hearts and will see them through the word of God and the Holy Spirit to comfort them, an eternal home waiting for them in heaven. That is true wealth. We need to see things not as man sees, but from God's vantage point. The world says that temporal things make you rich. If you have gold and silver stashed away in a nice home and a good car and money enough to retire comfortably, you may be rich, but you may not be. You can have all that and be rich, but it's not because of those things. Real wealth is eternal things. It's your relationship with God. It's your real family in the faith, the peace in your heart your heart knowledge of God's word and his promises, and most of all, of his love for you. What you see as genuinely valuable, Jesus said, is where your heart is. That's where you'll invest your time and your heart. What is valuable to you? Jesus had a harsh term for the local synagogue. He called it a synagogue of Satan. And so Bible critics say he was anti-Semitic. <laughs> he's Jewish, but he's anti-Semitic. Jesus and John were both Jews. And probably a good part of the church in Smyrna were Jews. That's why the other local Jews were so upset with them. Jesus doesn't worry about labels. He speaks the truth. Of course, Jesus can make a judgment like that because he sees their heart. He knew the power that was behind their slander and that it was Satan himself. They were a gathering of Satan's people that should have encouraged the church to be attacked by them. If you're not being effective for God's kingdom, Satan's not going to bother you at all. It's an honor to be so successful that Satan would incite his people and slander you. Jesus speaks of that on the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 10, first half, do, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw you, some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days and you will have persecution or tribulation. Persecution purifies and strengthens the church. And it's always been that way. It's, it's being experienced in much of our world today. I think it's one in every seven Christians lives under the fear of being physically harmed. It must really frustrate Satan that whenever he physically attacks the church, it gets stronger and purer. It happened in Russia. It happened in China. 
And it's happening now in Iran, in Afghanistan, Nigeria, and other places as well. The insincere will not stay because of the danger, and the genuine believers grow up fast because they know they may see the Lord at any time, and they want to be prepared. They're not as distracted as most of us are in affluent nations. Remember, Smyrna was an intensely Roman town. They worshipped Rome and its emperors. The believers could no longer worship Caesar, and that could cost them their life. They were called unpatriotic, even referred to as atheists, because they didn't believe in Rome's gods. They were bound, there was bound to be a clash of cultures, that of Rome and of the kingdom of God. And there is eventually going to be a clash between what America is becoming and the kingdom of God. They were going to suffer, but Jesus told them not to be afraid. When you know that the God you serve is all-powerful and omnipresent and that he loves you as a dear child, then you don't need to fear what man can do to you. Jesus will see you through. The book Heavenly Man is such a great contemporary personal account of Jesus bringing a brother through unimaginable circumstances. Brother Yoon in China, if you haven't read that book, it's like reading the book of Acts, but it's today. He suffered greatly, but God brought him through. The process developed a deep and a pro profound relationship with the Lord. The promise in scripture is that if we suffer with him, we will also share in his glory. And I can't think of a greater hope than to share in the glory of Jesus. The world sees us as crazy, or as one man was, when we had an art display downstairs, a Christian art display, one man, I was walking with him, showing him the art, and his comment was, delusional. <laughs> but we have a very different perspective, an eternal one. Believers are the only ones in the world who have no reason to fear. We know God, who is in control of all things, will bring us safely to our heavenly home, where we'll be overwhelmed with the beauty of his holiness. They were going to face imprisonment and have trouble for 10 days. Some will be in prison, and this is ascribed to the devil, but God is supreme. Even though the devil and evil men, he work, even through the devil and evil men, he works out his purposes. Ten days is an expression of a, a determined period of time. I don't think he was saying 10, 24-hour periods. Uh, it was the, uh, the time of testing for those four men in, in the book of Daniel. Remember when they had to eat special food to see who was the best? It was a 10-day period. And so I think uh, as apocalyptic literature, it's using uh, a figurative number, meaning it's, a short, it's going to be a short period of time, but it is a limited period of time. And knowing that it's gonna, not going to go on forever would help them endure. Trouble comes and it goes. And amid the pressure, we must keep our mind on the fact that it's not going to go on forever. 
The enemy of our soul wants to believe that nothing's going to change, that it'll only get worse. But he's a liar. We read the end of the book. It gets a lot better. And if he keeps reminding you that it's going to get worse, just remind him it's going to get a lot worse for him. We just need to hang in there and lean on those everlasting arms. It's important that we remember that. In the last half of verse 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Endure, even if it's to the loss of life. Endure until the day of your graduation and you enter your eternal home. Jesus has a crown of life for those who do. Of all the things we put on our list of being a good believer, the one thing that Jesus looks for is faithfulness. Remember that he told the story of the men who had invested uh, his resources, and to those who earnestly did so, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The church can get wrapped up in a million different kinds of programs, but God's not looking for a program. He's looking for faithfulness. Do what he shows you to do, not what he showed the other guy to do. Don't look for a pattern. Listen to the Lord. Faithfully use the talents and gifts that he gave you. Don't try to imitate anybody else other than Jesus. Faithfully seek to hear his still small voice and let the word of God speak to you each day and act on it. Act on what he speaks to you. Act on what... when you read the word and it comes alive, he's speaking to you. And obeying is being faithful. And keep it up until the day you go home. Then you know you will receive the crown of life. What's a crown of life? Well, James said that it was rewarded to those who love Jesus and stand the test by persevering to the end. It's not defined any more than that. It sounds like eternal life itself. Do you want to be sure you're on your way to heaven? Then persevere. Do not give in to temptation. Stay faithful till the day you die, and you are promised that you will receive the crown of life. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We have this invitation again to hear not just what is said to this particular church, but to the churches. We must be willing to hear. It seems today that's a quality that's disappearing as hearts harden. I've been told numerous times, if you want to believe a certain truth, that's good for you. My response is that there is truth. Truth is good. It's not if I want to believe it. It's still truth. The question is, is what you believe really true or not? Then I get this response, you know, well, your truth's your truth, and my truth's my truth. And When did people lose the ability to reason? If you step in front of a speeding bus, there's only one outcome. The truth is not what I want it to be. The truth is you'll be squashed like a bug. 
If you think you can rearrange your atoms and go through the bus or something, good luck. Real life has a way of validating our beliefs. The Bible is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, or it's just another work of man. It's one or the other. It can't be both. If you're wrong, but really believe something, it doesn't make it true. Jesus' declaration that he is the only way to God is right or it's wrong. It's true or it's not. If there's a fork in the road and the left leads to a cliff and the right leads to a place of love and peace, it matters which way you turn. And no amount of wishful thinking can change it. Jesus is telling the church at Smyrna that if they will persevere to the end, they may be killed for their faith, but they won't face the wrath of God for their sins. And the word not here in Greek is an emphatic negative. It's like saying you will not in no way be hurt by the second death, which is the lake of fire. The living one, who is dead and is alive forevermore guarantees it. Because he passed through death, we can believe him when it comes to the subject of life and death. I imagine, you know, that a letter from Jesus to our congregation would be so prized that each generation would see that it was posted in our meetings and even memorized. Can you imagine? Jesus sends a letter to the church in Sedona. We'd, we'd probably have it on the wall back here and we'd probably read it before every meeting. In 8177, a servant woman named Blandina was held by the Romans and accused of incest and cannibalism. Of course, incest because we call it one another brothers and sisters and cannibalism because we say this is the body of Christ and his blood. Romans thought the way that Christians called, used that verbiage meant they were guilty of those crimes. And Blandina's mystery, mistress asked for prayer because she feared her weaknesses that she might make a false confession. But Blandina set an example for her. She was tortured from dawn to dusk in multiple ways. And she grew strength from declaring again and again, I am a Christian woman and nothing wicked happens among us. The torturers finally said, she beat us. Even one of the many tortures they applied to her caused men to break. They gave up and released her for execution. Eusebius, an early church father wrote, glad at her departure as though invited to a marriage feast rather than to be cast to the beasts. And the heathen themselves confessed that never before among them had a woman suffered so much for so long. Jesus' message to the church in Smyrna was taken seriously and it was kept by her through that horrific night and her final dying moments. Her relationship with Jesus was greater than her fear and pain of pain and death, and she wears the crown of life. You know, when you get there, 
you'll meet Blandina. How deep is your relationship with him? You know, persecution is still happening in that same city today. In 2007, two Turkish converts to Christ, a German man and, and two Turks who converted to Christianity were working on translating the study Bible into Turkish language. When five young Turks who called and asked if they could talk to them about Jesus uh, deceived them, got into their workshop, tortured them, and killed them by stabbing them multiple times. Simps, who was the wife of one of the Turks, later said she had no regrets. She'd seen 15 people come to faith in three years. And she said, I see my family as victorious. Simps took the letter to Smyrna to heart. She knows her husband will not be hurt by the second death. The letter to Smyrna was from Jesus to her personally. But it's also a letter to you and to me. What Jesus said here is a serious message to those who believe that they can say a prayer and live like they want. The promise is for conquerors, for overcomers. And they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and loved not their lives to the death. The blood of the lamb paid for their sins and their testimony says they are a new creation. Their love of Jesus is greater than their love of this temporary life. And they know he was victorious over death. We will all die if the Lord doesn't return first. Will we be leaving behind the things we love or going to the one we love? Will we be leaving home or going home? Do you have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches? Be faithful unto death and your Savior Jesus will give you a crown of life. Hallelujah. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song and then I'll give the benediction.